Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Showing your good side has many rewards. Become a donor at Griffles Plasma and your plasma can make life-saving medicines. Millions of people depend on these medicines to live healthier, more active lives. And every time you donate with Griffles Plasma, you're compensated. You can receive over $500 the first month. Learn more about plasma and how it helps people at grifflesplasma.com. All right, guys. We're live. We're live with episode 19. Lucky number 19. All right. (laughs) Jeff and Brian, the authors of the Tier 1 series. So thank you guys for coming in today. Really appreciate it. Oh, anytime, man. Thanks for having us. I feel like, you know, we're like starting to become kind of a deal. Not a big deal, but a deal. (laughs) That like I have PR reps contacting me like, can we get our authors on your show? I'm like, wow, really? Like we're just, me and Dave like in a basement dungeon in Brooklyn and now we have like... (laughs) You know, I feel uh, there's a publicist or content. There's a level yeah. of legitimacy. So, so now you know who to blame. Yeah, uh, Poppy. Yes, Poppy. She, she's been really good. You guys are lucky. Like it's hard to find a PR agent that like goes and works for you. Yeah, <laughs> as I've come to find out. So you guys are lucky. There's somebody out there hustling for you. That's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. Um, and uh, let's show off the books first of all, and then we'll talk a little bit about you know your guys' background and how you met and how you got into all of this. You want to hold those? I do. Uh, Everyone grab one and hold them up. Which, which one's It's that this is, this is the latest oh, one. First one. This is the first one. Yep. Tier one. Yep. That's and book one. This is book two, War Shadows. Book three, right? Yep. Book four is American Operator and just out a few weeks ago, Red Spectre. Red Spectre. Uh, you guys uh, have pretty, you have great reviews on, on Amazon. Like, uh, yeah, thanks. people are loving your books and, uh, very compelling, like the way, like the way you write. So, um, Jack, uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves, uh, like your backgrounds mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, before you even started, like before you even started writing or maybe you've always written, but you know, and our journey to writing is a little different. The two of us, you know, what we share in common is the military, both Navy. Um, I was actually in and out of the Navy. I was originally uh, slated for aviation and got in a motorcycle accident, so that didn't work out. I flew as a civilian pilot for a few years. Then I worked for another government agency for about two years. And after that experience, I was like, you know, maybe there's a more peaceful way to live. It's, you know, it wasn't, it was before 9-11. There wasn't all, you know what I mean? Like, it was just, the violence of it was, um, 
I just was ready for a, a break. And so I went the full other way and I went to medical school. So I went to medical school and my plan was to become an academic teaching surgeon, right? I was going to be at a university and do research. And so I was in uh, my training to become, I was just finishing general surgery, was going to start a vascular surgery fellowship when those jackasses crashed the planes into the towers. And that, just when I thought yeah, I was happy, they called me back in. in. <laughs> like, yeah, like all of it, like nothing special about my story. Like America in general just rallied, right? I yeah. Mean, ev from all corners, everybody was like, they wanted to, and I felt the same way. I, so I was still in the reserves at that time, um, and I contacted the active duty recruiter, and I said, I want to transition to active duty. He's like, oh, you want to mobilize? I said, no. I don't want to be a mobilized reservist. I want to go on active duty. Like, this is what I'm going to do. So they worked that out, but then they made me finish my fellowship. And uh, <laughs> I went to Portsmouth in 2004 and immediately deployed with Marines uh, with a, as a, a first team surgeon uh, with uh, 2MEF. And while I was downrange, I ran into some people I knew from my prior life. And one thing kind of led to another. And the next thing I knew, I was uh, working with Naval Special Warfare. Uh, as a combat surgeon, developing some austere environment stuff for them. So okay. did that for a number of years, and and here we are. This is a, and I mean, feel free to jump in here, but I mean, were you part of that surgical unit that like they would actually take out on target to operate on dudes if they needed it? Um, you, we're talking about with the Marines or with NSW? With that, with JSOC, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I went, I deployed with, with an East Coast Base SEAL team, and that's what we did, yeah. So when they had a small package, it was going to be somewhere that was austere that, you know, could be some time to get out of there. The, the model was, as you, as you guys know, there are some units that do that stuff, <laughs> but they have a very large footprint. Right. So the SEAL team that I was working with, they were looking for something smaller in footprint. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get any smaller than me and another dude. So that's what we did. We trained up this package. It was just me and another dude. Really? Yeah. So you guys, I mean... How does that work as far as the medical package that you're augmenting these guys? I mean, can you do brain surgery on target if you had to? I mean, you, what, well, what? first of all, probably not brain surgery, but you can, <laughs> uh, if you need brain surgery, yeah, you're screwed. But um, you'd be amazed, first of all, you'd be amazed what can be done, but you'd also be amazed, this is the best part of this story, is you'd be amazed what a, a good 18 Delta can do. Mm -hmm. So you don't really need a surgeon to be there every minute of, of every day. I was glad I got to be. I, I was, you know, excited for the training that they gave me and it was nice to be part of these small units and go out and do stuff. But I was amazed if you put confidence in a guy and you invest in training, you know, these guys, special forces guys, whether it's Army, Navy, um, these are the brightest guys. Yeah. You know, these guys, by the time they get to that level, JSOC aside, if you're operating at that level as an operator, you could have gotten a PhD. Yeah. It would have been a little easier, right? So they're not dumb guys. These are super intelligent, oh, our highly medics, our medics are super so, No, I'm talking about the operators. You're being self-depreciating. The operators, too. I mean, well, there's a couple. Yeah. I, mean, I know you're, there's yeah. a few that maybe not, but there's really nothing else they could do. I, I was an 18 Bravo, so I mean, so, forget it. So sure. for our audience who is not familiar with the Special Operations Community, 18 Delta is the medical course that uh, Green Beret SEALs uh, the, it, it's a long course where they learn, uh, you know, I mean, right, it's almost, it's almost a PA school. Well, I agree with that. It's that's, almost that's a, a PA school. It's way more than a medic. Yeah. yeah it's I, almost I, a, a, a physician's assistant school. I, and I don't want to dig too, like go far too down into the weeds, but like the 18 Delta is specifically the special forces. Right. MOS. That's the MOS. So like SOCOM, the special operations medical course. 
Um, they send seals to that. Right. They sent the PJs go to the, PJs. Think. Yeah. But, but seals, that is yeah. that's mostly a trauma school though. Yes. So yes. well, it's the whole trauma medicine. It's, it's a long. But you're talking about people, the, the, the SF guys get the dental and veterinary and like some like you know how to stop medicine. How to, right. how to yeah. stop a malaria yeah. outbreak. Right. How, how, how to lab. sanitize. Yeah. How, to, how to sanitize a well. You know. What are you talking about? That's the army. So that's that's what an 18 Delta is when we're talking about an 18 Delta. Somebody with some very advanced medical training that, um, yeah, they, they're operating at a very high level of, of knowledge and skill. And to, so to take a guy like that that's already so highly trained and take him one more level up. So we could take an 18 Delta, especially in this unit where you really have the best of the best, and you can make him into your anesthesiologist. He doesn't have to go to med school and anesthesiologist. Hey, here's how the drugs work. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm trivializing it and joking a little bit, but it's not far removed from that. And so these guys are incredibly impressive. Yeah. What I did was not that amazing. My, what I did was be around some amazing guys and, and had the opportunity to share my knowledge so that they could do amazing stuff. And it was amazing what these folks can do. It, it's funny. incredible. It's funny because uh, I think I told you that I was a dive med tech in the Navy, and one of the challenges with being a, a medic or a corpsman or anything, even at a basic level, is that you come out of the military and you're basically overtrained and underqualified. The stuff that you do in the military, you, you, you're not allowed to do yeah. in the civilian in a civilian <laughs> context. Under, you know, you'd have to get like a oh yeah, you know. So it's, it's well, it's it's funny. And, you know, I don't want to go too far yeah. off this because yeah. Brian has a more exactly. interesting story than I do. But <laughs> that was actually a real that really upset me when I found out that these guys that would be they go to 18 Delta school and they get advanced training with me and we would they were doing. I had a guy operate on somebody in Somalia or actually yeah. in Ethiopia, but that's. Another story. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. there. We're no. splitting hairs. So, yeah. splitting hairs. But, and, and there was no one else there. And he like the, the things these guys can do. And then they get out of the service, and the best job they can do is be an EMT. Like, yeah, or an LVN, an LPN, a licensed at, at the most. Yeah. And these guys are better trained than many PAs and nurse practitioners out there. And yeah. there's no uh, certification that allows them to challenge the exam. And that's what we fought for was at, in in Florida and Virginia. Let's let these. If you think these guys can can't do it. Then prove it. Let yeah. them take the test, the practical and the written exam, and if they can't pass it, then great. Make them go to the school for two years. Yeah. But if they blow your socks off and they're 99th percentile, like I predict they will be, then certify them and let them get to work. Yeah. But they never went. As, as the kids say these days, they're hella trained. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. Nice. <laughs> and Brian, you were a submariner. Yes, I was a submariner. So he's the big brain in the room. Right. But you were a surgeon, and you're not allowed to say that. Oh, no, but you have very many no. submariners? No, a few. They yeah. all, they're, 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 <laughs> so no, bubble, they're brainiacs. That's why they call us bubbleheads. That's right, they're right. brainiacs, right. man. So how did, how was, what was your trajectory then in tr coming into the Navy and, and going down that road? Sure, so I was a ROTC guy, I went to Vanderbilt. So I was there and uh, you know, when I got there, the nice thing about the Navy uh, ROTC program, if you're there on scholarship, is they let you pick your, na uh, your major. So you can sort of go into whatever you want. So I got to Vanderbilt, I'm looking around like, you know, where are, they, uh, where are the best looking girls? Like what building are they going into? <laughs> the psychology. Psychology, that's they're all going to there Wilson go. Hall, a psychology building. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> that's what I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take classes there. So I got into uh, psychology, and then once you start studying uh, the brain, it's, it's pretty fucking cool. So, uh, you know, I actually got into cognitive psychology, and I was doing some undergraduate research on how uh, words and pictures, like, I don't know if you've ever been curious, but like, it's, it is sort of strange that you can see a picture of a dog and I can say the word dog, so the dog semantically 
accesses somehow this same construct as a picture, which right. is nothing similar. So I started getting into that and, and doing some... Isn't that like semiotics? Semantics. You have the semantic meaning, and then you have this... Where it's like red is associated <clears throat> with hot and blue is associated with cold, but there's yeah. no... So there's this real whole, reason why there's this whole associative priming thing that goes on in the brain. So like, uh, strangely, if you do a test, they'll do simple decision making tests and psychology experiments. They might have you. They're telling you that the test is. We just want you to identify whether this is an, an animate or inanimate object. You're just going to hit a keyboard yes or no. Um, so the, the the person taking the test just thinks that they're. Uh, if they see a picture of a dog, and they say, yes, that's animate. They see a picture of a screw, and they say, no, that's inanimate. And they just, they're doing hundreds of trials, and they just think that that's what they're doing. But the researcher, what they're really looking at is saying, okay, it's how the test is structured. So we would structure a test and say, okay, I know cat and dog are highly semantically re related. You have these tables where you'll have people say, I'll say to you, you know, uh, Jack, what's the first word that comes to mind when I say dog? Well, 57% of the population will say cat, and the next people will say fur, and then bark. And it sort of is this slope of percentage. And so what you find is when you precede the word cat with dog on this simple decision-making test, they're actually faster, like several milliseconds faster, hitting the key just by being preceded by dog. So it's primed. It's primed. It's yeah. primed. Your brain has all these concepts that are linked, and so this activation spreads in the brain. It primes your response so you're actually faster. So that was sort of what I was had my head in. I'm doing this, and I thought, you know, all along I'm thinking, I'm going to go into Navy intelligence. Like, that's where I'm going to go. And uh, my senior year, they, they pull us all into a room, and they're like, sorry, uh, Sorry, fellas, uh, it looks like they're closing all the restricted line communities for your senior year, so you got to go, uh, you know, SWO or, or subs or Marines or aviation. That's, that's, that's your choice. The big branches, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They needed guys in line service. Yeah. They needed that. All unrestricted. Yeah, line. SWO is surface warfare officer, and then submarines, and you said uh, Marines. Marines. Yeah. Marines. Yeah. Special warfare. Yeah. Yeah, no psychology major. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to that. <laughs> yeah. not, you think I can run a five minute mile? Are you crazy? <laughs> do that? Vanderbilt. Yeah. Run? People that do that for me. Uh, so yeah, so then I said, well, uh, I had been on a midshipman cruise on a on a destroyer and uh, I did one on an oiler and I said, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I want to go slow. No no disrespect to our slow funds, but I, I didn't want to do that and wasn't about to do uh, Marines, and we were joking, I, I probably wouldn't have made it Special Warfare. So uh, I said, well, to my uh, my unit uh, CO, I said, well, I think I'm going to go uh, submarines. He just laughed. <laughs> he just laughed in my face. He's like, you're a psychology major. You haven't taken any engineering classes. And I said, well, how hard could it be? He's like, really hard. <laughs> as an engineer. Did you take electro-engineering? No. Did you take mechanical? No. Thermal? No. Material science? No. Chemistry? No. So I was like, well, let's uh, let's try to just gouge so, me up. So don't don't let himself depreciate too much. I don't brag on him for a minute, which I don't do because I actually don't care for him. But, <laughs> um, the, the true part of this story is these guys told him, no, you can't be a submariner because you're not an engineer. And he said, well, like, there must be some way. And they're like, you wouldn't even pass the test. There must be a loophole. And he goes, oh, there's a test. They said, yeah, there's a test, and you will fail it because you've not taken any of these classes that we just described. He goes, but if I were to pass it, then I could be, then I could be on summary. Right, exactly. And they said, yeah, 
If you pass it, you can be on submarine. So he went out and bought a thousand dollars worth of books and spent six weeks cramming. And he's got such a big brain, he was able to absorb an engineering degree in six weeks and and had one of the highest scores on the test. So they had to let him That's submarine. Amazing. Can you believe yeah, it? I think I think yeah. I had probably That's just a barely passing score. But it's, it's the most ridiculous story <laughs> ever. That's incredible. And yet it's true. That's incredible. Yeah. So let me in. And now I have to talk to him. So you're a quick learner. Yeah, so I learned that stuff, and they sent me down to nuclear power school, and eventually made it out, and I was on a fast boat out of Pearl, so that was fun. Did uh, Doing the super secret squirrel stuff, right? Yeah. Like hunting for Russian subs, that kind of stuff? <clears throat> yeah, we did that sort of stuff. We did reconnaissance, we did uh, battle group escort, and we did uh, uh, coastal surveillance, we did... A lot of uh, ISR stuff. Yeah. And, and our boat was one of the first, was the first salvo, I wasn't on at the time, but it was the first salvo launched in Gulf War One. Tom Hawks flew from my boat. Holy uh, shit. Yeah. How, how did you find uh, submarine life? Because I know it's tough, you know, you're talking about, yeah. uh, you know, a ship's, uh, a, you know, ship's company, of, or boat, I guess, boat's company of people like crammed into a, yeah. a very small space. So how, how did you adapt to that and, and what did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of people say, how can you, are you claustrophobic? That's the first question I typically get, are you claustrophobic? And I'm not claustrophobic. And then the second question is, well, how do you, how can you be trapped, you know, inside? And my answer typically is, you know, most of us are inside, you know, 22 out of 24 hours a day. Yeah, you just have the option to go outside. Right, right. In the summer, you just don't have the option to go it's outside. It's a big option, right. dude. Yeah. It's a big like, option. Knowing you can yeah, is a yeah. big deal. Yeah. yeah. To me. And, and typically, uh, like, how long would, what, what was the uh, average amount of time that you would be in the submarine and submerged and not, like, not... Yeah, so like a deployment, a typical fast fast attack deployment would be six months, and so then it would usually be divided into two missions. So each mission would be like two and a half months. So you'd you have, be underwater for two and a half. Yeah, months. you have transit time, then you get on station, do your mission, then you come off. And there's typically one, you know, you go in port somewhere, you get food, you fix things that are broken, then you go out again on your next mission. But it could be maybe they want to divide that into three missions, maybe you do, you know, six weeks here, six weeks over there, whatever, but we had one mission that was a really successful mission <clears throat> on my first deployment, so they extended us on station, so we were out for 102 days on that, and there were no food left, I mean, we'd eaten through everything, you know, and yeah, it was like down to peanut butter and jelly, and cans of tuna fish, shoe leather, can they do shoe it? leather, can they Navy do beans. Uh, can they do an unwrap with a sub the way they do with ships, or is that... You can help, I mean, depends on where you are, you can help, yes, you can do an unwrap, but, I mean, or they can just helicopter, a, you know, crate food out. You okay. Know, and you, you can surface, and they can... So you gotta, still gotta, with ISR stuff, you still gotta come pretty far off station. You gotta station. come off station. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's what it is. Fascinating. Yeah. That's a whole other world there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But, I mean, I... I, I think that even if you're not claustrophobic, you know, you, you can handle that kind of environment. And I know it's different types of personalities, but I think to like being in Ranger Battalion, it's so like me and Dave were both Rangers, except he was in the hippie battalion up in uh, <laughs> 275 up at Lewis. Yeah. Um, like we're kind of like wound up, right? And everyone thinks it's like this band of brothers type of atmosphere. And it sort of is in the sense that like you'll look, like go and die for that guy. But like the reality of it is like also we all hate each other. <laughs> like, it's just super competitive. Like you're in each other's faces. 
like brawls break out between guys. I mean, it happens. You know? Thunderdome. I'm calling Thunderdome is, is like yeah. nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, guys, yeah. So yeah. I can't imagine like being on a submarine and it's like you don't have the option to get away from those guys at all. You know. Yeah. No, no. There's nowhere to run. Yeah. There's yeah. nowhere to run. Nowhere to hide. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have a if you have a disagreement with somebody, you're going to see that guy 15 minutes later. You're going <laughs> to. It's yeah. impossible to avoid somebody. Yeah. Yeah. But like, how's that go down when there's like some sort of feud on the <laughs> sub and you're just like, I'm gonna kill that guy. I swear to God, the next time I see him. Yeah, I think this is interesting, and especially maybe it's just my psychology bent. Um, I think there's this sort of down regulation that happens um, in people's personas. So there are some guys that would maybe be more hotheads, like when they're off the boat uh-huh. or if we're in port, you know. <laughs> and but then once you're underway, people sort of like dial it down and uh-huh. I think it's because you know like, yeah. it just doesn't it's not going to work right, you know, right, right, yeah. right but I will tell you there is <laughs> something funny which is um, you know all the atmosphere is recycled and as you're breathing oxygen you have to bleed in oxygen so we had uh, oxygen tanks so we're bleeding in pressurized oxygen or they have these things called oxygen candles which you can burn and they create a chemical reaction instead of burning smoke and releasing carbon dioxide they actually when you burn them they make oxygen into the air oh fascinating yeah so that's pr- pretty cool and then there's an oxygen generator too so that it does electrolysis it splits the water atoms and makes hydrogen and oxygen so there's three ways you can get oxygen but as the officer deck you're, you're controlling the oxygen bleed and there's a band, you know, you can't just make it so that it's the, you know, perfectly, it's the same as uh, sea level, the oxygen level at sea level. So if the guys are acting up, you turn it down, like, you know what? So my second CO, <laughs> his thing was he liked oxygen at the low end of the band. Oh. So when I, you know, that was his stick, like, you know, take oxygen down. Well, if I'm on the mid watch or I'm on watch, Dude, I'm gonna be freaking sharp, right, you know. Like right. this is serious. Like you're I, watching I got a hundred guys' right. lives on my hands. I'm driving the boat. I need to be sharp. Right. right. So first thing I do is I come on. I look at the if, it's, if the oxygen is down like low. I'd be like, Chief of the Watch, commence <laughs> oxygen bleed. You yeah. Know? I get that bitch up. You know, like yeah. <laughs> top of the band. So I'd be, and that captain, he'd come out. He'd always come, he he somehow knew. <laughs> he'd come out. He's like, oh, I feel good. What's yeah. going on here? He'd come out. He'd look around. I see this looking, scrunch his face up, and he'd look around. And then he'd take the logs and he'd be like, Austin, oh, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Did you start an auction? Yes, sir. Turn, you know, secure the auction, bleed. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I forgot. She's watched secure the auction, bleed. You know, you'd leave. Why aren't my lips blue? He's checking his capillary and refill. Too much, too fast. <laughs> the only time I ever experienced that was uh, going to the HAPS chamber for uh, free fall, yeah. the free fall course. And like they have you take that test as they're cutting the oxygen in the, in the chamber. And of course, you know, I'm a big badass ranger, right? Like this, no problem. And they asked us to very simple questions. Like one of them was like, draw, or the clock was already drawn, and they just want you to draw the hands. Like draw like three o'clock. And like I looked at mine after I passed out. And it just had like one arrow pointing off in one direction and then a couple plus marks like outside the clock face, like going off the paper. They're like, uh, uh, they put the mask back on you. I'm like, holy shit. But that's the point of the HAPS chamber also is to teach you what it's yeah. like to go hypoxic. Yeah. Because, um, you know, like, I, you, you know this obviously, but 
the average person probably doesn't realize like when you're going hypoxic, it's not like being strangled. You don't feel like you're being strangled. It's just a lack of oxygen and just things get dark until you pass out. Yeah. yeah. And you'll die. Yeah, you actually die. feel pretty good. Yeah. Like, you just feel a little goofy. Yeah. 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 Tired. Yeah. And you don't know you're not. You don't know you're suffocating. Yeah. 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 Well, you also don't know that you're not performing. Right, right, right. And that's, and that's the point of that chamber, that, right? That's is, to, what, is to let you know, look, you may, when you're not boxing, you think yeah. you're doing great. Yeah. You know, you got the guys doing patty cake and like, doing this. And, you know, that, that's what's interesting about, like, uh, like a ship's commander or captain wanting the oxygen low is, like, how do you deal with the impairment in cognitive function, or did he feel like he had a Oh, no, doubt? I mean, I'm joking. It wasn't that low. No, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's... It's a band around normal, so you know right. I liked it above. I liked a little extra juice, you know. Right, like right. You get it yeah. above yeah. what it is at at sea level. It wasn't like it was okay, nineteen point seven, and then you can only go below that. I mean, no, it could go. I can't remember now. It was up to like twenty one or something like that. So I'd crank it up above normal. Yeah, you know, he just liked it a little bit lower. Interesting. Yeah, there's all kinds of funny things about living in that. Yeah, environment I, where you know. I can imagine. I like I said. I I've never been on a sub when it's underway, but I've been on one for uh, dive operations, and you go on there and like, how how does anybody live like this? You yeah. know, it, it's 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 interesting. I'm sure. I mean, humans are very adaptable, so. Yeah, I mean, I used to think like, I mean, it's a little different now. You have Elon Musk, he's launching, you know, big rockets into space and stuff, and you have the space shuttle. But really, if you think about it, it is the closest thing to like a starship that right. human beings have built. I mean, sure. it is completely self-contained. Yeah. It has a nuclear reactor. It never runs out of power, at least in your lifetime, right? It right. doesn't run out of power. You're just limited by food, yeah. you know? It makes its own water, makes its own air, and, and it's a little city. It's just a tiny yeah. little city underwater. So, like, what do you guys do when you're, I mean, I imagine you are working almost around the clock, but, I mean, do you have time to, like, read books, play checkers? I mean, what do you do on a sub? I mean, now they have switched to a 24-hour day, but when I was in, it was an 18-hour schedule, and that was sort of crazy. So, you were on watch for six hours. Your next watch is 12 hours later because you're three sections. So, um, you know, that, quote, 12 hours off... It's not off time because during that time you're doing your maintenance, your work, you're relieving the other guys so mm -hmm. you can go to training. And so really, I mean, I never slept more than four hours consecutively the wow. entire time I was deployed. And so everybody's always kind of just weary. Yeah. <laughs> just like you're not 100% all the time because uh, you're perennially sleep deprived. Now, you know? as an officer on a submarine, did you have your own like cabin or, or did were you in like like sort of the general words like everybody else how, how did that work so this the captain and the exo have their own staterooms and then the officers have uh what are called uh uh three man staterooms so there's three bunks in each stateroom so okay. there's three of those and then um the the most junior officers the ensigns they typically would sleep in one of the other burnings that's called nine man just had nine bunks in it so they'd be in there until they promoted up enough to get a stateroom with you know one of the department heads and would the enlisted, would a lot of them have to hot rack? Or yeah. Would, yeah. Yeah, if you're E5 or below, you're probably hot racking. So hot racking is basically there's not enough space for everybody. So when you're on shift, you're working and somebody's sleeping. And then when you're off, you guys switch positions and they yeah. sleep in the same bed. Same bed. Yeah. Yeah. And not at the same time unless it's a holiday. And that's right. As, as they say, it's not gay if you're underway. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> I've heard. Friends of mine have told me. 
Um, so how long did were you in the Navy do, as a as a sub guy then? I did one tour, so five years. Uh huh. And then got out. So then I'm interested in like how did you two guys come across each other? How did that happen? We met at writers. Yeah, we were, we were already oh, writers yeah. by the time we met. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, Brian, we were actually debut authors the same year. So both of us had written books before these. He had a uh, he had a cool series. It was the first book was the one when we met. First book. Yeah. yeah. So the first book was out. Um, of this uh, think tank series he was writing and um, I just had my second book I was writing supernatural thrillers then and uh, we were in the same debut class um, the thing about these conferences so Thriller Fest is a conference I should plug it because it's it, for any writers out there this is where you should go like if you want to write in the fiction thriller genre and you're not going to Thriller Fest then you're you're wasting your time yeah, because I'm not a good networker I, I, I'll tell you man it's, it's really I, I met Brian there, I met my agent there, I met the editor that we're, this new editor that we just started to work with, we met there. Um, but also the community of writers helping each other out. It's like no one feels competitive, or at least in this organization, everybody just helps each other. You know, we've, and there's a huge military presence. And so we have sort of formed this little subgroup in international thriller writers of military guys. And we, you know, we promote each other on social media, not like in February, I'm going to a buddy of ours, Josh Hood. I'm going to go moderate oh, yeah. I moderate a book signing for him that he's doing when his he's doing the Treadstone series. Right, right. And uh, when that book comes out, I'm going to do that for him. And he's trying to. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Showing your good side has many rewards. Become a donor at Griffles Plasma and your plasma can make life-saving medicines. Millions of people depend on these medicines to live healthier, more active lives. And every time you donate with Griffles Plasma, you're compensated. You can receive over $500 the first month. Learn more about plasma and how it helps people at grifflesplasma.com. Help us. So it's this really neat community. But anyway, so we're at Thriller Fest. It's my first one, your first one. Yeah. And we're debut authors. And I am not a social guy. Like I, I mean, I can do it. I mean, my wife thinks I make it up that I don't not social because I'm pretty good at it. But I just don't like it. Like I just don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's like meeting people you've never met before, and it's like that kind of like they're going to tell me things I don't want to know. Like I don't want to know. I don't want to know. You. I don't care where you're right, from. Right. You're a fucking weird guy. Right. Right. You're going to tell me things about you, and I don't care. So, but it's just awkward, and especially you know with a military background, if you deployed a lot, it's just like you know what am I going to talk to you about? So. Right. So I'm sitting him in the hotel room. It's the first night, and they're going to have this cocktail reception, right? And Wendy's like, well, you've got to go. Like, we came up here, and you have to meet people. Like, isn't it's a networking thing. I was like, no, we'll just go to the thing. We'll do the breakfast. He goes, no, we have to go. So I'm looking through this book they have. It's a program, and it's got all the writers that are going to be there. And I'm looking through, and I'm finding <laughs> the pictures of all the guys that are military. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I'm like burning their faces into my brain. So I'm like, okay, I can talk to that guy. Oh, oh, Brigadier General Tata. I could talk to him. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, whatever. Brad Taylor, I could talk to him. So I'm getting all these names and I'm trying to memorize their faces. So I go down to this cocktail party and I'm with Wendy. And Brian had come. Karen wasn't there, right? So right. you were there by yourself. His wife had not come. So I'm looking for someone that I memorized from the picture. I see him sitting by him. He's a submariner, so he's sitting completely by himself. Of course. Right. Was I crying at right. that time? Right. He, like, he had like a tear running down his yeah. knees. His shirt tail's untucked. Kept rubbing his nose. Like that sad Keanu me. Yeah. Yeah. He's like sneezing and helping himself to peanuts or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, man, that is just the saddest thing I've ever seen. That's got to be a submariner. That, I think that's Brian Andrews. He is a submariner. So I went over and talked to him. And all joking aside, I did find I stalked him, I guess. I saw him sitting there. I was like, hey, Brian Andrews, right? Debut author. And it turned out our our families are the same. Our values are the same. We were both Navy. Our, we had daughters like the exact same age. And so we just hit it off and became friends. And so uh, that's how we connected. But that's but it was a year before he started writing. I'll let you tell the, the Right. Well, Jeff has Tourette's, so it's very difficult. <laughs> uh, to get past that, but I accepted him for who he is, and um, true friend, true, true friend. Yeah. And uh, no, so the next year uh, we get back and um, uh, just sort of picked up right where we left off, and it was very easy. We we were joking around, just like just like we are now. And I think you had your next book had come out, and we were both in. We we're both planning our next book, so we're sort of in between. I was like, yeah. You know, so you're always feeling out the other author. Like, oh, what are you doing next? Oh, what's, you know, can you tell me what it's about? And you know. See if you can figure out what everybody's doing. So we were both planning our next book, but we hadn't started. And uh, and I it just popped in my head. I was like, you know, it could be kind of cool. We could collaborate on something like seals and subs, and like do some military thriller series. He's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, how would that work? You know, like. Because writing, you know, you just write by yourself. Like, how I don't see how do you how do you see this collaboration going? And I was like, what? I don't really know. But I mean, we you know we collaborate in the military on all kinds of projects, so we'll just sort of structure it like a project, and uh, and just try from there. He's like, okay. He's like, I tell you what. How about this? He's like, if you he's like, I'm happy to help you. Like, if it's if you need some guidance on seal stuff, like let me know. Because uh, like, I really did not want to do yeah, that. Yeah, he's like, but I don't know if I'm... And it wasn't, I, like, we were friends. I just, like, I, I'd been writing since I was, like, 14 years old. I wrote short stories all through high school. I published my first story when I was 14. And I'd always written, and I just couldn't imagine a system where two people, like... Right, how does that work? How does that even... Yeah. So it wasn't I didn't... I, and, this, and then he came up with this story that was really good. And I was relentless. He was I started stalking him. Yeah. Like, hey, dude. But, but I did. I offered to help him. And so we start brainstorming. And it was all, he's a psychology guy, right? So this was all, and he trapped me. Is right. What he did. Right. So we start brainstorming this story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we start brainstorming this story. The story, and it's tier one, the book tier one. And the story starts getting really good. Like when he first started, it's like seals and subs. And like, Okay. Yeah. But now we have a story and it's getting better and better. And in my mind, I'm still just helping <laughs> a friend, right? And um, he asked a second time. And I was like, look, dude, it's not, it's nothing personal. I just don't, I, I, it wouldn't work. Right. So at this point, we have like this whole story kind of arced out. And Brian's like, all right, look, dude, here's the, here's the deal. I 
feel like I can't really write the book without you. I don't really know the special warfare community that well. Let's do this. We'll write five chapters together, however that works. And if it's working, great. And if it's not, you can have the story. I was like, I just got a free story. Like I was like, I, that, honestly, that's, yeah, I almost felt guilty. I was like, yeah. okay, let's try five yeah. chapters. Yeah. Hey, honey, guess what? Yeah. And so we started writing these five chapters, and then we never stopped. And we wrote that whole book in like, I don't know. Four months. Yeah, less than that, like 14 Super weeks. Super fast. The whole book. Yeah. And and it's only faster now. Like it just, it was this synergy that just, that I could not have imagined. And I will, what we do is probably completely different from what any other writing team does. I don't know. So how does it work for you when you write? Who's responsible for what or how, how, how does that happen? You know, I mean, Brian says that I do the nouns and he does the verbs and we put them in a bucket and we shake them up. Yeah. How do we do it? So we, uh, in the first one, we wanted to have some structure. And so we sort of talked about it and, and came up with a structure that uh, works, worked very well. And now that's the same structure that we use. It's not quite as disciplined as it was in the first one, but we write in a three act structure, which is the same structure that, you know, William Shakespeare used in, in all of his plays. Um, so it's nice. We, we set up the first act, or we call it part one, and we, we brainstorm, okay, what, what is the kernel of the idea of the story? So we, we, we generate that, and from there we divide up. We write in third-person, multi-point of view, uh, so we have multiple characters mm -hmm. get inside their heads. So we divide those uh, characters up, and we sort of assign chapters. So there's a really rough outline. It's, it basically says chapter one, this character's point of view, written by Jeff. This this location. This is going to happen. And then five words, but yeah. we know what it means. Yeah. yeah. And then so we we'll map out maybe eight chapters, and it'll be you know four for him, four for me, and, and we just start. And then as we're going, we're emailing the chapters back and forth. We start to build the manuscript, and then by the time we're done with part one, we read it, we edit it, and we each take passes on the other guy's stuff. And sort of the secret sauce, I think, for us is something that Jeff came up with, I think, from the beginning, which was anything sort of fair game. Let's put our egos in a drawer, and it doesn't really matter, like, who wrote what. It's just anything can be changed. And if you start with that mentality and there's no ego to the pros, then it's a lot more fun yeah. and a lot more productive. And easy. And when we do these four chapters, we're like writing <coughs> simultaneously. So I might be writing chapter one and two, and he's like still writing chapter five. Yeah. So I know sort of what he's writing, but I'm writing, so I might be writing Dempsey, for example, in part one. So I'm writing Dempsey and maybe Jarvis, and he's writing the bad guy and Grimes or whatever. And so we're writing simultaneously, but every few chapters, like he said, we stop, we swap them, we rewrite each other's stuff. And then we stick those in a master file. So that does two things. One, it puts both, it makes a one voice. Right. Because we both That's have hands on everything. Yeah. yeah. But also, we know exactly what they write. I mean, like a 10-minute conversation on the phone, half of which we're talking about our wives and our kids. I don't really know what he's writing. I basically know. And so what I've written, and, and that'll give me an idea. Oh, you know what? When I do this next Dempsey thing, because he wrote this, that's a great idea. And it makes it go so fast. That's awesome. Like it's just, yeah. yeah, it really, really is fast. But it's also blended really, really nicely. And there's a lot of editing involved. We, we make a pass through part one and through part two and part three. And then we he does a pass through the whole thing. And I follow him behind and we do that whole thing. I've written five books. Like what you're describing just sounds like like you were initially like, it sounds so schizophrenic. Like how yeah. is that even fucking yeah. possible? Yeah, that's no, but you're right because <laughs> let me just tell you like 
other writers say the same thing. So we've been on a couple of panels now, you know, because we've been around doing this for a little bit. So we'll be on these writer panels where they have co-author teams because it is a fascinoma for people. It's like yeah, yeah. It's like going to you know Ringling Brothers and looking at the bearded lady. Like, how could you do that? Right. So, <laughs> so what's her number? Right, exactly, right. So we'll be up there with other writer teams, and everyone will say, "Well, how do you do it?" And we'll say it, and people are like. Yeah, I think. It's, but theirs it sounds the same to me. Like they'll say, "Well, here's how I do it." I'll be like, "I'd kill myself before I would do that." Yeah, like, it was one team that they were like, "So what we do is I'm on the phone, and she's listening on the phone, and we're talking, and while we're talking, she's typing." You know, I, I think that honestly, for something like that, I, I think that it probably really doesn't matter what the hell the process is. It's just that like the personalities mesh. Yeah, and, and you know, you guys could probably just like do a totally different process and work off one Google uh, Drive document and it would work for you just because you work well together. And because we have, you know, we've sort of set from the very beginning and we're all military guys, so you get this. Like, from the very beginning of any mission, any deployment, you set ground rules for how you're going to work as a team. Right. And, and when you do your next deployment, those ground rules are different. I'm not saying you map it all out, but especially if you're an NCO or you're an officer, You've got a different team. You know you're going to structure a little different. I'm going to be a little tougher. I'm going to be a little harder. I'm going to rein this in, or I'm going to give more free reign. It's almost unconscious, and you have to do that. You have to say, "Look, here's how we do it." And and for us, it started with we need to make sure we have the same shared goal. Like if you're if he's a writer who just loves to see his words in print, I'm not going to be able to work with you, right? Because I don't feel that way. Like for me, it's about creating a story that people will enjoy. Well, for Brian, it is too. So that worked out great. Not a lot of ego involved, like he said. That's huge for us. I swear to you, my wife will read something in these books, and she'll go, oh, you wrote this, didn't you? And I'll be like, I swear to God, I don't know. Because, <laughs> because it becomes such a right, team right. thing. It's like, it's like you know, we and talked earlier about over, some of the jackasses that have written books in special operations, right? And, and how everybody's like, that's horrible, because that's not the military. That's not special, how special operations work. Special operations is we as a team did this. Right. Yeah. Most guys would never even think, well, I did. Like, right. It's like, what did our unit do? What did our team do? Right. What did our platoon do? Whatever. That's how we approach this. We as a team are going to create this story. And if me changing something makes it sell three more books because it is a business, then great. Let's do that. Right. Do you ever work it where one of you writes the hero and the other writes the villain? We do, but we swap. So that, I, I guess I started and didn't finish that. So like if in part one I'm writing John Dempsey and he's writing Modiri, then we make sure that in part two he's okay, writing more right. of Dempsey okay. and I'm writing more of Modiri. Because otherwise it does start to feel, when you read it, you can tell it's a little right. fragmented. And so we have to swap it up frequently. But, but, so when you're doing that, how do you, how do you ensure that the, that the characters maintain the same voice throughout if you guys are swapping it? Or are you just kind of that in sync where... Where you I both think, know who these people are. I think it's because, like Jeff said, this sounds ridiculous, but we, we really do make f probably four passes before that manuscript is done. And so almost every sentence has changed. And now what's happened is, you know, if you ask people who've read our, in our solo work, they'll say, well, I like your solo works. But you have a different voice. This right, has a right, different right. voice. So this has a third voice. Yeah, yeah. it's not either of us. It's yeah. the combination of us. Yeah. And so that's what's that's kind of neat. And you know, now <clears throat> we, we sometimes get a little lazy. We'll write something and be like, Yeah, I don't I'm not really sure how I would 
solve this problem. So Brian will fix it. I'll just send it to Jeff and he'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we sort of do that. And then, but we give the other guy a heads up, being like, dude, this chapter sort of ends, like, you yeah. know, two thirds done, because I wasn't sure where You'll to go. You'll notice it doesn't seem like the end. Yeah. That's because you need to finish it. You need it. to finish it. You know, and that's a lot of trust yeah. to just hand the ball off, right. you know, to the other guy and let right. him take it. And we're at that point, that's pretty cool. Not only a lot of trust, but also, like you say, like, no ego, like, you know, yeah. like, I'm, I'm okay with, like, somebody else taking this and, and doing something with it that I'm, I don't know how to do, you know? I mean, that's not easy for a lot of people to do. And you're right. And, and so you got to pick your team very, very carefully. Sure. And, and some people maybe could never co-write for that reason, or they've had a bad co-authoring experience because they were not with the right person, the right person. And, yeah. and so it didn't work out. But... You know, for us, it's just about not having ego, and it's about I'm gonna I'm gonna use this terrible analogy. It's actually a great analogy, but uh, I'm gonna embarrass Brian because it's his analogy. <laughs> In case people think it's stupid, it's Brian. <laughs> but um, you know, we're both family guys, and that's like the most important thing in the world to both of us. Yeah. And that's one of the things that our friendship was based on. So I have four kids, but Wendy and I don't have like it's not like okay, Connor and Ashley are mine. And right. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. <laughs> and then Emma and Jack are you. And right. Like if you need help, let me know. But you know that's your. We raise our kids right. together. Right. And if I if there's something I'm a little better at, then I do that. And we don't ask. We don't say you're better at this. Will you do it? You just sort of know after a time in your marriage, right? You know, my wife is going to do this part because she's way better at that, <laughs> or whatever. And in our writing, it's like that. We don't care about who gets credit because you know it's on the cover as Andrews and Wilson. It's our book. It's our book. It's our child, and right. we just want it to be the best child it can be. Yeah, right. Um, and and the other thing is. We go into this knowing what our strengths and weaknesses are. Sure. We're not going to share that with you guys or anybody else. But I know what he does better than me, and he knows what I do better than him. Right. And we, I don't think we've ever really spoken about it, but we do know. Right. And so those things that he's like, oh, I'm going to let Brian fix it. I really do that because I know he's going to do a better job and vice versa. And the other thing is you were talking about the one voice and the, and the rewrites. Those rewrites, when I rewrite his chapters, there's certain elements that I'm always going to do for every chapter that he does that's a little bit more my strength. Right. And there's I can think of 10 things that he does to mine <laughs> that are definitely his strengths. And so that gives it that one voice too because right. we've put those elements in. So, so for instance, you might be saying like one of you is more detail-oriented with like uh, descriptions and another one is sure, more dialogue-oriented. Yeah, yeah, one person does dialogue better, one right. person does research better right. or setting better or whatever. And then uh, how do you guys manage, and maybe this hasn't happened, but how do you manage if you have a difference of opinion in how something happens, how it goes down, a plot point? I mean, anything like that. Everybody always asks that question and no one ever believes us. Yeah. And the, the answer the, is... The truth is uh, we, we haven't had any major disagreements. I don't believe you. So... Yeah, no, no I, that's it's, amazing. Now it's not that we haven't had discussions where I'm like, yeah. I think this and he thinks that. It's just that in the end, it sort of comes back to that. Well, this yeah. is a little more his area of strength. Yeah. yeah, and so I'm going to just trust him. So there's a lot of trust. Yeah, I still kind of feel like mine's going to be better, but I'll be like, okay, well, let's try it. And we know when we're doing it. So if he knows when I say, 
Well, why don't you go ahead and write it that way, and we'll see if we like it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying is I well, we still think that, I'm right. We do yeah. that a lot where we but say, we've never changed we'll say, um, we're going to, and now we preempt it. We'll say, say, this is how I think I'm going to handle this. I'm just going to write it, and we'll see. And then if we don't like it, we'll change it. And we're both like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know what's really cool? Once you've written uh, a number of books, you get to the point where you accept the fact that the first draft it's just a draft. Right. right. And we, in this new book we were working on called Sons of War, <clears throat> in the very first chapter that I wrote, I wrote this sentence, something like, uh, the guy was like very busy at work, and he had a, he had a lot of deadlines, and he was he's an engineer at, at uh, BAE, and like he was under a lot of stress, and he's trying, his, his, his old friend is trying to pull him away to basically recruit him into this organization, but he takes his job very seriously. So the whole book of writing, I'm like, well, you know, how long can he be in Pakistan? Because he's got this, you know, he's got this deadline, he's got to get back, and so, and then finally- Weeks this went on. Weeks. It's like, wait, we have to change that, because change. remember we said he's got to get back. And then we're like, wait, wait, he can't do that, because he's got to get to, how's he communicating with his work? He can't get fired, because in the next yeah, week, blah, blah, blah. Well, makes sense. Day, <laughs> I called Jeff, I was laughing on the phone, I was like, I solved the problem. He's like, what, what? What did you come up with? I was like, he's not busy. <laughs> like we made, we said he's right, busy. Right, <laughs> right, right. We created it. Right. All you gotta do is take that one word out. Yeah, yeah. eighteen chapters. You get locked into yeah. problems. Yeah. You do, yeah, yeah, and you yeah, know yeah. you're a writer. You yeah. get into that. You write chapter one, and you're like, well, this is the path I'm on now. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And once you accept the fact that you can change anything you want at any time. Your complete control, and you accept the fact that rewriting is, is part of writing. It's great. Yeah, it's it takes a lot more a fun. A lot of weight off your back, well, especially in in this genre. I mean, I don't want to put words in, in your mouth. I mean, is, is it a military thriller? Is it a techno thriller? It's, it's military covert operations. So, I mean, yeah. this is a, a genre that's um, it, it, it begets a certain level of technical specificity uh yeah. there, there's like, like in people the audience kind of expects it. yes i agree um but you two both have come from a technical background i mean a surgeon and a, and a sub engineer yeah is i mean i got to imagine that really helps you navigate your way through the the various plots and the uh the, the those kinds of um blind corners that you can paint yourself into as a writer. Yeah, well, I, and, you know, take take the spotlight off of us and just talk about the writing community now. The the one good thing to come out of 20 years of, you know, sustained combat operations is there's a lot of guys now writing in this genre. Mm -hmm. we, we mentioned Tony, we mentioned Brad, we mentioned Josh, uh, who you know. There's But the, the list, Don Bentley's coming out real soon, uh, Tachi Pilot. There's all these guys that have real-world experience, and the quality of military covert operations thrillers is better than it's ever been. Right. Like, Tom Clancy was an amazing writer, an amazing right. writer, but he was an insurance salesman. Right. And he researched, and I mean, the guy was clearly a genius in, in his ability to see these deeper also, layers. like, if you read, like, Rainbow Six, I mean, Clancy will spend, like, three pages explaining, like, the Army rank system. Right. Like, this is the st sergeant stripes with the rocker, and I feel like that's, like, Wikipedia knowledge at this time. Like, people already know this. Yes. And they were... Or they don't, they don't care. They just right. want to know, did he go through the door or did he not go through the door? I, I, think, I think that we're at a time now where they want more, like, guys like you... To really like give that kind of like insight, 
and there's, there's, a, and there's a lot of guys yeah. out there. And so I think it's a really exciting time for this genre of thriller because there's a lot of people. And what we decided to do with this book is we, we used what we call the tick on the hound approach. So we're like, we're going to drop you onto this hound that's running. Right, right. You know, and like, we're not going to explain anything. Yeah, like, you just let it unfold. So you're, 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 in the, you're in Dempsey's point of view on the first mission. He's going to right, get this shit. Yeah, and like you know, we talk like Navy guys talk. We use the acronyms, right. and we don't explain all that stuff. And there's a glossary in the back. You know, you can look it up. But like, there's if you're in yeah. the military, and you guys know this, there's no spoon feeding. Like right. that's not how it works. Right. So yeah. like. You come on board, you join your unit, and from day one they expect you to freaking learn. Yeah. Like that's sort of the approach we took. Do you <clears throat> do you find I think you and I have very much the same approach? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. If you want more, you can get more. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you find that even with the glossary, do you find that, that writing do you do you find that most of your readers um already familiar with all the acronyms and things like that? Or 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 sometimes is there sort of like a gap where People, you know, like, um, yeah, it, so I, I know what you're saying. I think it's, I think the answer is, it sounds like I'm hedging my bet, but I think it's both. I think we have, re we have a lot of readers that have a background that if they know most of what it means and the little bit that they don't, it doesn't affect their enjoyment. And then we have others that know a lot less and, and every now and then we'll get to say, wow, the acronyms were a little hard to wade through. Um, so as a writer, your challenge is if you don't want to be the kind of writer who explains it. Because right, you think that's not enjoyable. Right. Then what you have to do is find creative ways to explain it in the context. Right, right. right. You know, he reached for such and such and does such and such. And so what that thing is that you named, the context of what he uses it for, I'm using this as an example, maybe explains it better. So you can put some context, you can put some dialogue in there that just gives enough clues that... It and there is that type of reader also that wants to go and like Google that, like, holy shit, is that real? Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and good for them, but you don't yeah. want a 700 page book where that is unreadable. What we like, what yeah. we like to say is that um, readers love to learn. They just don't know, like to know they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and I'm like that as a reader. I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I am not saying I think readers are dumb. I'm not. I'm saying that they just want to be entertained. They don't want to read we're not writing. Yeah. We're yes. not writing yeah. War and Peace. We're not changing the world. It's entertainment. Sure. And so they want to be entertained. They are more entertained when they learn a little something about what it's like to be in a covert operations team or be in a helicopter or whatever. But they don't want you to feed it to them because that's boring. Right. And, and so they want to experience it and maybe learn it's a little patronizing depending on how you. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Because we want. We always say we want, you know, housewife in Oklahoma to be able to pick up this book. And enjoy it, and we want a guy who's downrange to pick up the book and be like, "Yeah, that's bad. that's what I would have done." Yeah, it's fiction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's drama. I mean, you cannot. We talk about this with television shows like SEAL Team. You know, great television show. Is there drama? There have to be dramatic elements because people like that. And, right. And there also, you know, what a lot of people don't understand about storytelling is, you know, we talk. I, I mentioned earlier that three act structure. We've all had that experience where you've read a book and you got to the end and you're like, I didn't like that. You know, and maybe if you're not educated in, in storytelling, you might not be able to articulate right, why you didn't right. like it, but it wasn't satisfying. Right. You just know you didn't like it. 
Well, that's because we've all been sort of socialized in this storytelling. All you know, all the stories we get from the time that you're a little kid and your parents are reading to you, to movies and television shows right. and the books we read, there is a structure. And if you deviate too much from that structure, it can be a very unsatisfying experience. So right. that means that those dramatic elements need to be incorporated, or it will be a shitty book. Right. Right. Yeah. If the pacing's <clears throat> off, if there are yeah. too many beats, if if all these things, it just like. It, it it like it's like uh, it, it like grinds your teeth yeah, a little bit. Yeah. It's like what, what I, just don't I, like, I don't know what this yeah, is, but I don't, I don't like it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, I, I notice that a lot in movies. Like if something happens and a character didn't really earn it, you know, if it just kind of happens, like uh, that, that wasn't very satisfying. Yeah, yep. you know, that's that, that, that's something that like I, I kind of struggle with too, and, and maybe you guys also is like the difference between a novel or a movie. Um, the fiction of it, it has to make sense. Mm -hmm. But if you're actually a soldier in combat, a lot of times it just doesn't make any fucking sense. And it doesn't have to. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, and so you don't you don't have the luxury of doing that in fiction, right? Right. And the other thing you don't have the luxury of doing in fiction is um, showing the nine days of doing nothing right. that right. went before the mission that actually only took like 12 minutes on right. the X. Yeah. Like that's not a very exciting book, right. 12 minutes on the X. So right. you, um, you, you can so write a 300-page book just about army logistics. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> know, like that's, but no one will read it. Right. So. No one's interested. The other thing I think is important in when you write these kinds of things and the, and the stuff that you're doing is um, you need to make sure that your characters sell it, right? Mm -hmm. So this is another element where the reader doesn't know why they didn't Really right. find it satisfying. They just didn't, and that is when they have these two-dimensional superhero. Right, the whole Mary Sue, Gary right. Stu's high six They write green eyes. Bullets bounce it, off of them. Yeah, it's and for, so yes. and so you have to have you have to have not flying characters. You just have to have normal human beings. Right, and like having having had the honor of serving in in the special operations community. The thing I always say about the guys I worked with it that I found most awe-inspiring was how absolutely ordinary they were. Yeah. yeah. And they were guys and and you know at the LM, the unit that I'm at it's a very mature unit and you know these guys are older they're you know you've been in 12 15 years. Um, these are guys they're married they have kids they're taking the trash to the curb they're going to a little league game they're picking up milk on the way home. They are ordinary. What's extraordinary about them is how committed they are to doing something impossible. Right. They don't have any special gifts to do it. They're not made of steel. They just believe in their country. They believe in their brothers and they want to serve. That's what's extraordinary about them. If you write that character, and that's what we've tried to capture in Dempsey and now in this new series, Sons of War, that's coming out. So Sons year. of War is not a Dempsey and Burr story? It is a shared world series. So okay. there's, there's a character uh, in, we first introduced him in War Shadows. His name is uh, Redmond, Keith Redmond. Uh, he's a SEAL officer, and they, this small unit of SEALs augments Dempsey's covert ops unit to do a mission. And we got a great response. He's a cool character. He's like, he's an amalgam of people all of us in this room have known. <laughs> yeah. right? He's just like kind of a good old boy, super smart, but you got to know him for a while before you realize he is. And, you know, he's always got a dip in his mouth. And, um, but the readers loved him. And he was like pretty small in here. It yeah. was like just in the Central America part, really, and then he disappears. And and so we brought him back in Crusader One. Yeah. And then people really loved him. And people were like, oh, when is Chunk coming? He's cool. His nickname's Chunk. Okay. So uh, we were able to spin off a series with another publisher. It's coming out from Blackstone in, in 2021. Uh, and that new series is Sons of War. And the premise is that in tier one. Oh, oh, oh. 
summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Fine. The premise is that the entire tier one SEAL team gets wiped out in an ambush. Okay. The only survivor is this guy who assumes a new identity. He is presumed dead also. His name's Jack Kemper. He takes on the identity of John Dempsey, right. joins a super secret organization to hunt down the guys that did it, right? right. Well, <clears throat> if that happened for real, they would not just never have a tier one SEAL team again. Right. They would stand it back up. Right. And so the premise of Sons of War is Chunk and his guys are the new tier one SEAL team and so we're gonna it's gonna be all SEAL team kind of stuff. Right. So we're really excited so about So a lot this. of hair products. <laughs> right. right. A lot of a lot of book deals. Yeah. A lot of leads, <laughs> appearances, time yeah. on Fox News. Yeah. Uh, question from a viewer. Uh, what is your approach to describing the interpersonal interactions between characters and military books? Um I mean, you said before, you know, they're sailors, they talk like sailors. They do talk like sailors. I think you, I think you write them realistically, but I think that, I don't think it's different for a military thriller. I think it's the same thing I did in supernatural thrillers and things that you've done in your books. He's, he's written some great techno thrillers. Reset, I'm going to give a plug, great book if you haven't read it. Um, but you write it naturally. The, the way you don't describe relationships, let it come out in relationships, right? Like, don't you hate that book where this spirit above you narrates what their relationship is like right how does that work like let it come out in dialogue let their let their tensions be seen let their awkwardness be seen you can tell if they like each other or don't like each other if the if the narration says he didn't like her i hate that right i can tell he didn't like her by the way you frame up the dialogue and and all those sorts of things so that'd be the only thing i would say is about that anything to add to that like no, I mean the only that's that's exactly right. And then the only other thing is, um, you know, as a psychology guy, you know, I I like to think about personality profiles for characters. And so, you know, our characters, you could give them all Myers Briggs, and they would have different right. different we personality. We don't profiles. do that. Jeff doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I do. <clears throat> the secret sauce. Yeah, I remember when I was working on my first book. I was like, this is by my, when I was writing by myself. The first book, I was like 75% done, and I'm going back and reading. I'm like, oh, this is so good. Oh, it's so good. Oh, that's what this, that's exactly what I would do. That's exactly what I would do. And then I realized, oh, no. <laughs> it's <laughs> They're all me. just like me. Every single character is just like me. Yeah. And that's when I said, oh, I need to make them all different. Give them a different Myers-Briggs, and that helped me to say, okay, like, I need characters that would do absolutely the opposite of what I would do right. in that situation. Yeah. Who would say something that I would never say. Right. And uh, so that's what you do, is you pit these these characters together, and uh, sometimes we don't even know, really. I mean, you start the chapter, you, you have a goal for the chapter, but it's not until they start button heads. Right. Well, that's what's fun about a series, is you can evolve those things. So you read Tier 1, there's a character, Elizabeth Grimes, that is now actually one of the fan favorites in this series. 
that would surprise you if you only ever read tier one, right? Because she was kind of a bitch. Like, right. Like she was. She this, was our devil. She was devil's advocate. advocate, and she didn't really trust these guys, and she was a know-it-all. And we have over five, almost six books now, evolved her into this whole different person, and her relationships with all these other characters have evolved also right. over time through shared experience, just like when you deploy, right? Like right. there's a guy that when you're in garrison at home, you wouldn't you wouldn't have a beer with that guy. Right. But you then you deploy with him and you see this other side of him and you come back and you're best friends. Sometimes the other way happens. Right. 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 Yeah. That guy that's all fun, well he's good at being fun, but he ain't that great outside the wire. Right. And, <laughs> right. And so and so these things change over time. Yeah. And so you in a series, you're not trying to compress all that into three or four hundred pages. You can arc it out over several right, books right. and it's so much more fun. So so when it comes to that type of character development, when you when you develop a character, when you introduce a character, do you have an idea of, of who that person is at their core, why they're acting that way, and who they'll become in future books, or are you just kind of like in the next book, like let's do this with this person and and see where I'm it goes. Thinking that apparently, he's got an entire psychological model <laughs> with all of these people. I don't know. No, I think what we do is um, when we start as the as the books going on, there is discussions about the emotional and psychological state of each of the characters. For sure, and they have to have a role. And right. then you know during and 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 through the first draft, we always go back and we say, okay. Now we need to add conflict and tension to the dialogue. So if everybody's getting along swimmingly, right. we'll say, all right, what are some areas where they actually could be right. struggling or disagreeing? And that happens in rewrites. And then you'll see growth through that book. And so then when we start the next book, we're like, okay, Dempsey is here in his evolution. We've taken him from here to here. And you were talking about Elizabeth Grimes, like how much she's changed. She's changed the way some of the other characters think, too. So, yeah, she's come closer to them, but they've she's pulled sure. them closer to her, too. Uh -huh. So that's sort of interesting. And, and so, yes, at, each, at the beginning of each book, we do sit down and say, where are these guys and girls going to end up at the end? And, and in this book, we have some, some trauma that happens. So at the beginning of the book, we said... The guy's team's a little overconfident, and we wanted to write it the way. They're a little overconfident. Things have been going pretty well, and they've been on a little bit on cruise control. They're getting a little big for their britches, and we want that to come out, and there's going to be a little bit of reset. You know, some stuff's going to happen to knock them back down to earth. And it's interesting. A reviewer texted me. He was about a third of the way through. He's like, did you guys make a mistake? Like, this such and such happened. Uh, like seems like an oversight like on your part and I was like no it's not an oversight on our part it was an oversight on the character's part like, right he was overconfident he, right. he, he keep reading keep yeah. reading <laughs> yeah he messed up you yeah. know like and uh, he's like oh cool well, I'm gonna keep reading you know? <laughs> um, and so now for book six um, we're at that stage where they're kind of they're going through some shit. Yeah. You know? So, like, we've gotten into the, the, the nitty-gritty a lot, but I want to take, like, a step back just because I, I'm uh, uh, reluctant to admit it um, because I do take a lot of pride, actually, in reading all the books of the people I interview. Um, but I just didn't have time. We to sent you a lot of. We sent you five books. Sorry, we sent you five books. Sorry, we sent you five But, I, I mean, I... Uh, I, I wanted to put you guys on the spot a little bit, but also give you the opportunity to sell the series. Um, I mean, I grew up reading Mac Bolin, 
So, I mean, I like love the genre. Um, you know, nowadays, as we talked about, the genre is really flooded. It's really saturated. Um, some of them are very good. Some of these writers are very good. You know, I, I really loved uh, the late Dalton Fury before he passed away. Um, Mark Greeny, I, I really enjoy his work. Yeah, nice. um, but there are a lot of these books out there. Others kind of suck. Yeah. You know, just to be real about it. I mean, wh what is this book series about? I mean, there's a lot of these out there. Why, why do I want to pick up this one? Yeah, this one is, like we said, it's, it is covert ops. But I think what separates us is the authenticity and just the, the pacing. So we, when you start this, any of these books, mm -hmm. I mean, we start with action and we really never let the foot off the gas, mm -hmm. so to speak. And I think we, if just to, since you're asking us to toot our own heart, we'll go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think we do geopolitics really, really well. And, and um, we're a little lucky. We're a little lucky, but it is. We've had a couple of books where the book came out, out and yeah, we've yeah, had that. Okay. Out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of research that goes into it. Like we had a bunch of people emailing us about that book, American Operator. They're like, wait a minute, this came out last year and all this stuff's happening in Syria that you guys wrote about. And that's part of our what-if scenario. We, right, right. We try to be very deliberate about looking Did at you ever it. fuck yourself, though? Because like, <clears throat> then something in real life happened, and you're like, oh, that doesn't really make sense anymore. Oh, it, it, oh you could. It, it, we, it hasn't yet, but it, eventually, I suppose. Yes. That's, yeah. That's, that's almost inevitable. I think that if you look at the genre in general and you say describe the the technique for most of these books i think that you would find that most books in this genre are plot driven mm -hmm. wouldn't you agree i think they're almost all plot driven i think what's different about our books is we invest a huge amount of time in what i hope are very exciting plots mm -hmm. and storylines but ours are character driven. right we drive the story with the characters and their sacrifice and their relationships and that's a little bit unique in the genre. You use a character to tell the story. We right? use the character to tell yeah. the story. There's very, very little narration in these books. Yeah. You see this unfold through the eyes of characters that are very realistic because they're people that we do. And so I think that's, if, if I had to sum it up in just a couple sentences, what's different about our work, why has it been so successful in the genre, that's probably it. I, like we were saying earlier, as a reader, do you sit here and think, well, this is incredibly well character driven and no you just say I really liked it I think that's why they really like yeah. it I think they really like it because they feel like they know these people and and you care about what happens to them right. they seem real to you well that's I mean that's one of the reasons I like I I mean even just like the relation right like you say you start off with action um, and the characters like like you get us you get a sense of the relationship between the characters like right from the beginning you know, just on the hero right out, right? You, you like you, you start to get who these people are to each other, how they relate. And for me, like when I'm reading, uh, when I'm reading, you know, a, a fiction work, a lot of times I look at it and go, could I put, you know, swords and and magic, you know, could could I take these exact same characters and put them in a completely different environment and will it still be a compelling read? And and with with these books, it's yes, you know that that. Because cause these are interesting characters. Yeah. So it doesn't matter, you know, if it's if it's an M4, it doesn't matter if it's if it's a Claymore sword, that, that it's the characters that are, you know, that are like that you're relating to. And and that's that's what drives us, right? Like you say that these that these people loved uh Chunk, which I haven't uh, you know, do, did you do you know what it was about that character that people responded to so, you know, so strongly? But because obviously 
if he were just kind of a, a, a placeholder or, you know, okay, now we need to have this person who, you know, who fulfills this, this piece of the plot that we need to move on forward, then people wouldn't have that kind yeah. of response to it. Well, we try never to have those characters. Right. We, they, if someone has a, a reason for the story to have them, then we try to give them a, a, a character-driven role in that story. Even if they just come through in one book and they're dead halfway through, Right. we try to bring them to life. Um, so I can't tell you what it was about Chunk, but I think it was just because, I think more than a lot of the other characters, Chunk truly is an amalgam of some people that we know and have a relationship with and we've Put some and so maybe yeah. So maybe yeah. he came a little more to life on the page because he is modeled after, and we won't give names of, of the three or four people that he's an amalgam of, obviously. But maybe that's why. Maybe we wrote him a little better. He came to life a little bit more. I yeah. don't know. But I think that I think you're right. I think that's that's the key, right? Is they care about him because right. they they seem real. So I grew up reading Stephen King, was my favorite writer growing up. I wrote, I read extensively in this genre, and I wrote, read Stephen King and, and Koontz. Those were my writers. And the thing about King that makes him so special isn't that he thinks of these crazy horror things, because there's literally hundreds of people that do that every day, and some of them are more clever than what King comes up with. Uh -huh. What King does is he writes it through the eyes of characters so realistically that you can't not find out what happens next because it's like the guy's in the room with you. I yeah. used to say he could write a 400-page book about someone reading the Yellow Pages, and I would read it in one sitting, and I would be sad when I was done, Yeah. even if there was no plot, Yeah. because it's so real. Yeah. And we are, I am not comparing us to King, but that's what we try to do. We right. try to emulate that rich character, things that, little idiosyncrasies mm -hmm. that someone will relate to. Right. There's little things that King does where you're like, no one writes about that, but we all do it. Right. Yeah. And so it makes them real, right? right. Stupid little things. Right. That just don't think to put in a book. And so we work hard to do that with our characters so that they come to life. And then that drives the story because you care about the people. Right. Yeah, 100%. Let me give the uh, obligatory YouTube call to action real quick. Yes. Um, before we move on. Um, Thanks again, for everyone who's joining us. There's uh, like 29, 30 people watching live and many more will watch over the, the subsequent week. Um, so thanks for coming, hanging out with us tonight. Um, please subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and hit that little bell icon so that you get notified the next time we go live. And um, if you're interested in supporting the stream financially, you'll also find a link for that down in the description if you take a look for it. So uh, thanks. And if you have any questions for our guests today, the authors of the Tier 1 series, um, please get them in, and um, we'll definitely take some more questions. Uh, also, big shout-out to DJ. Thank you very much. Um, and also, um, Welper Style, uh, thanks uh, for seeing DJ's donation and raising your savings of <laughs> one Canadian penny. Um, that, thank you. That's... Uh, I like to think that we're a worthy retirement plan, yeah? <laughs> okay, Andrew wants to know, what are your three favorite war movies? Oh, well, that's a good question. Black Hawk Down. Okay. Uh, I think you and I are different on this. I really liked Zero Dark Thirty. You're, you're, you're not so... Not enthused. Not, yeah. not as enthused not as Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, American Sniper. Um, that's my other one. Yeah. Boy, when he was, when they did the Ramadi thing, I was like, they can't have filmed this in Ramadi, but oh my God, this looks like Ramadi. That it felt like it. I've yeah. never been to Ramadi. It was crazy. Like, yeah, just very, very authentic. Is that three? What was it? it was, it was, you need it was, to pick up the... 
Oh, I have to pick it. We have to. Eat. So there's six. No, that's not fair. No, you just don't like zero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, uh, thirteen hours is a good one. Yeah, that's thirteen hours. Really that's good. a great movie. Yeah. Uh, what about um, what about pre nine eleven movies? Oh, I'm digging into. Well, Black Hawk Down was right. That's true. Um, yeah. Like the the Winter War is one of my favorite. It's obscure, but it's about the um in Finland. In World War II. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That was good. Hey, and here's a shout-out. If you love the uh, World War II, uh, Norway, Finland, all that stuff, Andy Gross's book, Andrew Gross, uh, has a book out called The Saboteur. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. That's one of the best books ever. Um, but we are talking about movies. Um, uh, I loved Hunt for Red October. That was great. Oh, yeah. And then Crimson Tide. A little shout out to my submarine friend. Yeah. See, Vicks, because I know nothing about submarines, yeah. so I could enjoy it. Right. We've had this conversation yeah. before. He's like, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't do that. So is it, uh, is it the the inaccuracies in the movies that get you when it comes to, like, like that kind of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. No, I get it. I, I, I totally get it. Um, no one wants to know the most expensive piece of equipment you broke. Oh... In the books? I, I, I suspect he's, he's asking about real life. You can clarify if he wants to get into it. I mean, did you ever break the nuclear reactor? No. <laughs> no. That would be... Because none of us would be able to one-up that. Who, who asked that? Yeah. Uh, no one. So is Nolan actually CID and he's been hanging out on this <laughs> yeah, yeah. channel the he's whole like time? He's like checking our he's been, he's been waiting. He's yeah. been waiting for you to come on. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't break anything expensive. Do we have expensive medical gear that you I, uh, I trashed? A, I have a buddy that forgot to, uh, it was called pinning the radar mast. So you have to basically, uh, the radar mast on the 688 has a fairing on the top. And you have to uh, pin it so it's held down hydraulically. It's on this checklist. And if you do it wrong, then the hydraulics can loop and the fairing, if it gets any water, you know, and just a little bit of water, it'll suck it up. And so it happened when they were diving and it sucked off the fairing and it went through the screw. Oh. And then the, you know, they're like, sonar's like, con sonar own ship is cavitating. And they're like, oh no. And they, did, they were leaving on deployment. They had to turn around, go back into dry dock and fix the screw. Yikes. And the other boat that was on station had to stay on station. So he <laughs> felt pretty bad. <clears throat> he wore a main nameless. How was that fit rep? What's that? How was his fit rep? He ended up staying in and he became a department head and was, okay. a, was an admiral's aide later. He was super smart. It didn't end his career though. No, no. So. No. Yeah. There um, were some other incidents I'm aware of that ended people's careers. <laughs> but that was, not, that was not one of them. Yeah. <coughs> You weren't. Uh, you didn't happen to be in Guam during the earthquake, did you? In like '94 or '93? No. Okay. We were doing a dive off on a sub there, and it was it was mayhem was because it? it was like an 8.2 earthquake. Yeah. We had divers in the water. They thought the sub was sinking. They had no idea what was going on, but because uh, everything started shaking, so a little bit of a panic fest in the old uh, coffer dam there. Really? They thought like the nukes had flown. They they had no idea what was going on because, like I said, it was in Guam. There was an 8.2 earthquake. Um, they, you know, when you, when you're doing dive ops on like subs or other things, you know, they're not dry docking. So you have to create a dry environment if the, you know, if the equipment calls for it. 
So you build a cofferdam that basically fits up, you know, molds to the bottom of whatever it is. It's a big box, build kind of a bench in it, and then you uh, put high pressure air in them to blow the water down so that you have a dry environment. So guys will swim up underneath there, you know, remove their rigs a lot of times, and then uh, sit there and work. Well, this earthquake hits, and if, like, they don't know what's going on. They think the sub is sinking. Oh, and, and, and you know, going and down. they're trying, and they're going, going down, down and they're trying to get their rigs <laughs> back on. Uh, yeah, it was it was mayhem for them. Like one guy, that was pretty much it for him. Like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I mean, it's hard to overcome that, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. But just curious if maybe you had been there. I mean, it's a big world, but it's also a small world, you know. So, um, I I can tell you something about when we're off air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Nolan also wants to know about how wild would subdudes go when they would finally get to port or get to home station. Oh yeah, no, it was liberty was crazy. And, you know, everybody's um, a liberty risk. Yeah, yeah. I told him that wild well, another story, another off air story. I told him that yeah, no, because you're cooped up. Yeah, you're cooped up for months, and then yeah. you go and you get you basically you get a week. And so people go crazy and dumb. Um, you know, here's an interesting, another interesting thing, though, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't really think about it, but it's just sort of real life is, you know, you've been in that tube and you're all breathing the same air and then you go to another country and now you come up and one guy gets a, a bug, you know, right. gets sick. Right. So then you go to sea, now everybody gets to get it. You know, so right. like literally, it's like five days underway Whatever that is that people picked up in that new port that nobody had immunity to, it just makes its way through the whole boat. Right. And it's just misery. <laughs> it's just misery. Until, like, it cycles through everyone and then, like, no one gets sick. And that's the other weird thing. Like, you don't get sick. Like, the germs become static and there's no new germs. So, you know, once you're through that new germ period, the rest of the deployment, nobody's getting sick. Oh, yeah, sick. right. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, did you guys have beer rats? Uh, did you guys have like beer rations? Uh, oh uh, no. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. The Brits do, but we didn't do. Yeah. That. But one other interesting thing is, uh, you know, new words get. I can see how language changes over time, because new words get made up through, and it's always through jokes. You know, somebody will do something, and then that becomes a, uh, you know, an inside joke, and then that a term, like some stupid term, like. Uh, What's that Urban Dictionary online? You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that would happen underway, and you'd you'd pull in, and you'd come back after deployment. We'd all be using this slang, and you'd run into guys from other boats, and you'd say, and they're like, "What does that mean?" And you're like, "Oh, yeah." Yeah, that's right. You were with us. You yeah. were with us. <laughs> that, that actually must be like a really fat from as like uh, as a psychologist must be an interest like a fascinating study on just like people in an enclosed. You know, it, yeah. it's a self-contained. Yeah. Uh, you know, community yeah. that has nothing new. It's like an Appalachian village. Right. Way, right? <laughs> I was amazed how fast it happened. Yeah. And I thought, if we were out here for two years, there'd be a whole new dialogue right. the way that people talk to right. birds and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they'd probably, like, get ashore and, and yeah, yeah. have a hard time communicating yeah. with people. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Speaking of foreign language. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, I mean, like, what... Not that long ago, like 200 years ago, I mean, each village kind of had a different <clears throat> dialect, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's kind of driven by, quite quite frankly, like a small handful of people. Right. The funny, people who are funny, people who have very, you know... Um, 
extroverted personalities. Yes, yeah. they drive it. Right. Yeah. Charismatic personalities. Yeah. So when you go to things like Thriller Fest, was it Thriller Fest, is that what you said? Uh, Thriller Fest or these other things, is there... Do you find that the military riders tend to sort of segregate themselves or sort of lump, like clump together because because of that not an inability to relate to other people yeah. but but almost a lack of desire it's or a camaraderie yeah and shared experience yeah I think there's some of that I mean it's not not to the exclusion of everyone else sure I mean, we certainly have plenty of friends that didn't serve that are part of the ITW community but yeah no question that just like if there was a bunch of lawyers there that all wrote legal stuff they sure. would all tend to hang out together, I would assume. But yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a great community of military guys in that. Yeah. Uh, I think we've served, though, as a resource, too, for a lot of the other... That's one of the things we've tried to do, is uh, just be very open to sharing you know, mm -hmm. our experiences with other writers who are very curious, would like to know what it's like to do those things. Yeah. So we always try to do that. How has your... Having not been involved in the uh, Spec Ops community or anything like that, like... Have you done a lot of independent research? Is it is it mostly sort of uh, through his influence? Like how how is your knowledge of that world expanded since since starting these books? Oh, because of Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're gonna be a thriller for this, right? Now that you, you know, now that you hard sold me on it, yes. Uh, it's not like you have to fly four thousand miles. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it here in New York? Yeah, you know, there's a bridge. Yeah, I it there's is, a so. bridge over here. That goes. <laughs> Right across. <laughs> Once you live in Brooklyn, you don't really go. <laughs> you don't like yeah. who does that. Yeah. Actually, I, I again dragging my daughter around with me. I'm going on a Chris Perante's podcast tomorrow. With okay. My, oh, that's awesome. My old friend Ian. He he hosts the show. Yeah. So I'm going on it with him. So, uh, yes, I will be making the the trek over to Manhattan tomorrow. There you go. But no, I, I think yeah, I probably should go to it and go. Look. You know, some of these people like Mark Greeny, Josh Hood. Uh, who else? few other guys who like I've been talking to off and on for years but I've never met him in person you know so I probably should they'll all be there yeah I've been trying I'll go out yeah we'll all go out I I've twisted Mark's uh, elbow to try to get him on too it's yeah like, yeah he's, sure. he acted like all, all squeamish about it like oh I don't uh, you've never had like a non-military guest on I'm like Mark get the fuck out of here <laughs> like, come on so, probably, so you'll be nice I I'm always nice right I'm always nice right how much mostly, fun of them can you make? Yeah. Nice. How much fun of one person can you make? <laughs> um, okay, so you said there's a, a spin-off series coming out. We talked about that a little bit. And then there's book six in this series on the way also? Mm -hmm. September. Okay, awesome. I asked uh, Brad Thor one time. Uh, I asked him, do you have, you know, you don't have to reveal it here, but do you have in the back of your mind does your hero end up retired to a lot, like living in a log cabin somewhere one day, or does he go out in a blaze of glory? Like in the back of your mind, is there an endpoint for the protagonist? Funny, I've never, no one's ever asked us that, so our answers might be very different. I can tell you that for me, I have not thought about how it ends for Dempsey, whether he's retired in a log cabin or eventually finds he can do things other than operate. Um, but other characters in the book. And we can't really talk about it because they're right, actually right, in the right. plans. But there's most of the other characters in the book, actually. We sort of know where they're going over the next several books and oh, where really? they end up and stuff like that. But I don't think we've ever talked about no. Dempsey. Like, Dempsey's just kind of always there. I, I almost sort of feel like he's almost like a, a Batman where, like, his <laughs> legend, like, 
what he is will live on. Like the Phantom. Like yeah, somebody like, else can take over. Yeah, like even if he retires his knock, that somebody else would step into that he becomes Dempsey. sort of an evergreen legend that other yeah. people walk yeah. into. Now, there is a, a neat connection that will develop, and we can drop a breadcrumb here. You know, in order for him to become John Dempsey, he had to allow them to bury him in Arlington with oh, the rest so they of his teammates. Faith his death and everything. Yeah. So John Dempsey is his whole life is a knock. And uh, but he left an ex-wife and a son behind. <laughs> and we have teased out this element in his in the first book or two. He's obsessed with he's gonna get all the guys that killed his teammates and then he's gonna let her know. He's gonna let Kate know that you know I'm, I'm still here and it's all gonna work out. And then he's always kind and of she got married and so. But the son. But it's sad though. He's kind of watching her on social media. Yeah. He's not supposed to. Like the son, like I'm looking for him. Well, the son in this last book we've revealed. Uh, actually, we reveal it in American Night of American Operator. Um, the son is off to buds. Oh shit! So <laughs> he graduated yeah, and, high school and. And Dempsey doesn't know how he feels about that. Right, right. right. You know, and, he, and this is a kid, imagine the guilt. This is a kid who's off to follow in his right, dead father's right, right. footsteps and has no idea his dad isn't even dead. Right. Right. And so there's a lot of moral conflict for well, poor John. About, I mean, just speaking to like the intergenerational conflict, and we saw this when we, we went and saw Scott Mann's play. Uh, at the end of it, I don't know if you've ever met Scott, he's a retired Special Forces officer. And he has this play called uh, Last Out. It's really good. And I want I probably shouldn't give too much away, but towards the end of the play, it plays out this. It's about a special forces team sergeant. At the end of it, it's his kid is joining the army. And it's like, how do you feel about that? Like we are gifting this war to our kids. Right. Like, and how how does that play out? Right. And like, oh, not too many people have really gotten deep into that because it's kind of just starting to happen now, I feel like. But it's like and I'm a father, you know, you're a father, like, that kind of, like, hits you right in the guts. Oh, like, absolutely. Like, how would I feel about that, you know? But, you know, what's well, interesting... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, that's the title of the new series, is Sons, Sons of War. war. The, yeah, the idea that there's a generation that never knew anything but this war. Right. And how are they different from us? That, right. And that went over early in, early in this war. I, I can, you know, I've... And it is going to be different. But that's an interesting question that we don't really address in Sons of War, which is the dynamic between the two generations. Yeah. You know, I've got a son who, um, my older son's in college now, but my younger son is got several years to go, but he wants to go to the Naval Academy, and he wants to be a pilot. And he's, a, he's an incredible young man, so he probably will. Um, and I'm fine with that. Like, if he told me he wanted to be an operator, I don't know that... That'd be that'd be different, but he wants to be a fighter pilot, and his granddad was a fighter pilot, and I started out as a pilot, and um, but his mom is not as okay, and it's been a struggle for her sure. to come to terms with, and she actually, um, you know, to get serious for a minute, I guess, she read um, Aaron Vaughn's mom wrote a book, and I wish I could remember the name of it, um, but. She wrote a book. Aaron was the uh, seal. Yeah, he was killed in ex in extortion one seven. So he was one of the eighteen guys that that was lost. And she wrote a book in the wake of his death that was the complete opposite of what you would expect. Mm -hmm. And she's a, she's got a very strong faith. She's a Christian woman, and um, her faith is very important to her. And it's very evident in this book. But the the whole theme of the book is 
instead of remorse and you know sort of honoring her son and telling all these stories she's saying as a mother what is your role when you feel your son has been called to mm -hmm. a job like mm -hmm. this and she said who am i to question god's plan for my son it's it's heartbreaking book um to see the love she has for her son and how she's glad that she supported that what she felt he was called to do and that book changed everything for Wendy. So Wendy read this book because our faith is very, very important to us. She leads a women's ministry at our church. I lead a men's military ministry for our church. And hearing someone else with that same faith background talking specifically from a parent's standpoint, because we're, we're the kids, right? Like I still think of myself as like... Yeah. Like my dad, how does he feel about the things? And that we got to go out and do whatever we wanted. And right, like, and we're just know. right, and we're just now getting to the point where we have to consider what would it be like, like as it was for Karen Vaughn when she lost Aaron. So, you know, she's a half a generation ahead of us, and but now it's our turn. And how are we going to deal yeah. with that? What are we going to tell our kids? Your kid comes to you, and so uh, that's a book. If there's anybody out there listening that is is struggling with those questions. I can't recommend, I wish I could remember the title, but um, Karen Vaughn is, is who wrote the book, but amazing, amazing book. Even, even from just, if, you, if we look at it, even just from a secular, like, you know, type of perspective is that we did, we went out and we did what we wanted to do. Like I wanted to go to war, Jack, you know, like we all did what we wanted to do. And now, you know, just because of our experience and, and, just because of our experiences, it's like, well, you know, your kids want to do that exact same thing. You're like, ah, I don't know. Right. But, you know, we never would have denied ourselves that time or our right. buddies that time. My mom never told me I can't do that. She right. She never like, no, you're, you're going to be disowned from the family if you do that. She was like, well, I love you, Jack. And all. <laughs> you, actually, you actually feel both, don't you? Like, yeah, there's that, gosh, I don't want, you know, first of all, they're always that four-year-old to you, even right. when they're 19. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you don't want anything bad to happen to them. But on the other hand, you're also filled with this incredible sense of pride in them that they feel that call to service, that they want to serve a, a cause greater than themselves. All those things that you hope you were teaching them, right? Like you mm -hmm. kind of hope that they got that from you, that you've taught right. that into them. And then when you do and it's successful and they say, well, now I want to serve you, like, well, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> I don't want you to take it quite. Whoa, 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 whoa. I just, whoa. Want, you to, I just want you to say the national anthem. <laughs> Put your hand over yeah. your heart. Right, right. Yeah, salute the flag. Oh, you know, we're good. We're good. Well, well, it's also like these two perspectives because on one hand, like, here's your book. Like, oh, this dude running away from an explosion. Like, how cool is that? I want to go do that right now. Or I did the same thing. Like, whoa, the guy's wearing his plate carrier. Right. Yeah. It's light on. He's in the dark. Like, what's what's going to happen next? But then if your kid comes to you and is like, I want to do that, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. What are you talking about? Wait, our government really doesn't have a plan for these countries. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> we need to have a conversation. Like, we need to, like, Just you understand the geopolitics going on right now? Like, <laughs> it's not World War II. It's not, there's not a clear yeah, mission. Yeah. Maybe, maybe wait and see what happens. Maybe Air National Guard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Civil Air Patrol. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, how do you like reconcile? I feel like it's almost like two images of the world, you know, that sure. you have. Um, and you know, when like my kid, you know, my daughter asked me these questions, like, what do you do in the army? What's it like? Where do you sleep? What do you eat? You know, did you go over, you jump out of airplanes? You did all this stuff? And like, I struggled to like, I, I want to tell her the truth about it, which is like, yeah, it's pretty 
fucking cool. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, on other, but on the other <laughs> hand, it's like you know, I don't want to like propagandize my kid or like like, like you should go do this. Right. Like, this is the right thing to do. You need right. to go do this when right. you get older, which you know now a, a a female soldier can apparently do a lot of these things. You know, right. it's been passed through Congress and all that. So it's like, yeah, I struggle with it. Like, what do I what do I tell my kid about it? Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it was cool when I did it, but you should get an MBA. Right, exactly. Right, I loved. Yeah, I, I had a great time. I loved every minute of it. It was just, oh man, was that? No, it sucked. No, you shouldn't do that. No, no, no. You don't. You don't understand. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's it's one of those situations where, like, I mean, I did. I, you know, I was in. I started out in the Marine Reserve, and then I was active Navy, and then active Army, and then you know went and did other stuff, and I. Loved every minute of it. Even, you know, even the suck. You know, the, the sucks is actually, those are the times you remember, right? When it sucks the most. Um, but it, but I don't know if I would like want to, you know, say I loved every minute of it, you know, and, and, and make, and I don't know. You know, it's just, it's a weird situation now too with, with these unending wars and no real, you know, what do we do? It was fine for me, but I don't want to. And I mean, also it's like, not to like, pat myself on the back or, or maybe I shouldn't at all but I mean like I've probably put more kids into the military than any recruiter any recruiter's tour ever just but from all these podcasts and everything I've yeah. done right. because I know because these kids contact me right. and they want to ask questions or they're like oh I, I'm, I'm in basic training now and you, you know I got really interested and I started listening to your podcast and stuff it's like on one hand it's like I'm really proud of that. It's like, wow, that's really cool. I was able to give these young people additional information and help them make their decision. On the other, it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, they, they probably would have gone in anyway, only without the information. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and listening without information is just a, yeah. a fool's game. And, and that's, yeah. that, that's the way I see it. And this is like, we're, we all served in the military, and like, I, I kind of see this partly as like public outreach. You know, yeah. it's like kind of like, these things exist. You know, you could be a submariner, you can be a doctor in the military. These are all these great things you can do, but ultimately it's up to them to make that decision. How do, uh, how do writers, aside from using you guys as a resource, like how do writer, writers, um, how do they view you? How do they approach you? Do, you? do they think that you all have like post-traumatic stress? Do they, you know, you, how, how, like how do they treat you? Or is it like awkward? Yeah. yeah. Um, that hasn't been my experience, but I think it's you, in the writer community where they're fellow writers. Okay. It's, so it would be different for, you know, if a writer was coming to me and saying, I want to talk to you about your wartime experience, that would be weird, I mm -hmm. think. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't have a satisfying answer to that just because within that community, I'm just writer. you're right. Yeah, okay. Writer like that's that. great. And not that they, you know, obviously we talk about our military, but we, you, you could uh, talk a little bit about the panels, you know, that we do. Yeah, we've done some really cool panels at Thriller Fest. You, oh, that's right, you don't come. Uh, at, at Thriller Fest, what we do is uh, every year, actually this year we're not going to have it because they've had to condense the panels. Uh, so this will be the first year we haven't done it in a number of years, but it'll be back uh, in 21. But we do a couple of panels. One is there's always some sort of military writers panel where they talk about their experiences and how they incorporate it into that writing. I'm sure they'll have one this year. They always do. And those are great panels. And those readers are really interested in not just your military service, but how you take that and put it into writing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we do another panel, uh, Brian and I have done for four years now, mm -hmm. I guess, where we bring operators that are not writers 
and they sit on a panel and the idea of the panel is that uh, and we this one is very highly moderated we don't do a lot of Q&A because it would be uncomfortable if they ask crazy stuff right but um I just think of your character putting the dip in the mouth. And right. Right. Let me tell you a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, that I was knee deep in hand grenades. And so those panels have been surprisingly um, focused very little on what you'd think. You would. We went in there a little nervous about how tightly we were going to have to moderate these incredibly inappropriate questions we were going to get. We didn't really get, get any. But it, gives, it does give people a chance to ask real operators questions. And they ask questions more like, you know, what's it like for your family? Mm -hmm. How is it? I mean, it, it's really actually quite impressive how, how uh, the, the panel unfolds. But it's neat because writers who aren't military get an opportunity to have, you know, um, this year was all uh, NSW guys, but in the past we've done a mix of Green Berets and SEALs and and they can talk to these guys about real questions about what it's like. So that when they write these characters, maybe they won't write the Superman superhero crap yeah, yeah. that's out there. Did all, did all the NSW guys get book deals while they were there? <laughs> yeah, they mostly had. All seven figure deals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Did they all shoot Bin Laden every Sunday? <laughs> Dave, we're going to get down votes because of you. Sorry. I know sorry. it. I know it. Sorry. Oh, Dave, Dave hits the, the, the seal jokes every time. And like I try not to encourage it too much, but, mm -hmm. but a little bit. But it's hard not to. Yeah. yeah, no, I get it. It's hard not to egg it on. Um, so you said that you've been, uh, Jeff, you said you've been writing your whole whole life. Like when was your first book? And then the same like for you. and Well, so I start been writing my whole life in that I always wrote short stories mostly. So I wrote short stories from the time I was 12 or 13, published one at 14. And then I always wrote. I, there wasn't a year that, I never went a whole year without writing and trying to publish at least one short story. I didn't write a full-length novel until much later, and to be honest, at the time, I think I just didn't think I had the attention span to it. I mean, you look at this, and yeah. you know, you write a you write a short story, and it's like twenty pages long, and that's a long one. There's only a handful of magazines you can get those in, um, and so the idea that you just keep writing the same story for like all these pages, I just I was a huge reader, but I didn't know that I had the discipline to do it. Right. So the first time I wrote a a book, actually, I wrote about two-thirds of it uh, while deployed uh, to a Korean village near Rupa. So it was when I was with the first team. Um, and what I actually discovered is it's way easier to write a novel. I mean, it takes a little longer, obviously, not much longer if you write with Brian, but um, it's really easy because in a short story, you have to condense all of this character development and interesting arc into like, you know, 6,000 words. Right. The luxury of having, at times, I will admit, 120,000 words, because we can be a little wordy in rough drafts, to tell the story is like, it makes it, it's liberating. It's so easy. And so um, I found it, that was, I guess, in 2004 or so that I wrote the first book. And after that, I've written mostly novel length stuff. So, and Brian, what about you? How, like, how, what about the writing and how did you get into it? And so there's, as you guys all know, you know, we talk about military experience, it's like long periods of boredom punctuated by moments of sheer terror, right? right. So it's like, there's those long periods of waiting, you know, especially in the summer and you're on station and you're just rigged for quiet, you're being quiet. And, and uh, you know, a lot of times, the, you know, especially if you're on watching the engine room, they might not change the bell whole watch. I mean, you just might be, you know, doo -doo -doo. 
So, uh, you know, I would, as an engineering officer watch, I would tell stories to the, at least the maneuvering watch section to pass the time. And uh, I remember the guys after a while, they're like, you're a pretty good storyteller. You ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, nope, never, never thought of it. But that sort of stuck with me. That put that little bug in my ear, yeah. you know. And then later when I got out, I was like, oh, there's <clears throat> so many interesting things to tell stories about. I tell this to Jeff, like, one of my favorite things when I was in the military, when I had time to myself, was to read, you know, this type of stuff. You know, I, I liked Michael Crichton was one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love that stuff. And uh, there's nothing really more satisfying uh, than going to a great movie or reading a great book and somebody just told you an amazing story and you can't stop thinking about it. You know, like right. that is a really impactful feeling where it changes the way you look at the world because you read that book. You cannot see the world the way you saw it before. And I just thought, if I could do that, if I could tell a story that left somebody feeling either really entertained or changed the way they thought, that would be cool. You know, that would be cool. So that's kind of why I started doing it. That's fascinating. Well, when you would tell stories, like what kind of stories would you tell them? Would you, were you just making them up on the spot, or were they? Oh no, they were they were stories. They were real stories. Yeah, stories like yeah, you know, it'd be like I went to this podcast and met these guys. You know, we okay, you know. yeah. But a lot of it was just like stories from Jack Assery that people did, you know, <laughs> in uh, either underwear and port calls yeah, and stuff. Yeah. You, you would tell stories and, and be humorous, you know. All right, guys. Uh, you want to wind it down? Like, give me like five more minutes, and then we'll. Yeah, yeah, yeah sounds good. Close. And if anyone has any questions, they want to get in there before we uh, call it a day. Can I? Can I throw out a little plug? Of course, you please. Can. So we have a fantastic um, voice actor who performs all these books on Audible. So every single one of these novels is also an audiobook, and his name is Ray Porter. And each one of these books is available on. The if you have Audible, you can get it and listen to it on your phone. But also, if you have a Kindle and you like digital books, there is a function. It's very inexpensive, actually. So you can pay a dollar ninety nine, and you can add the audio to your Kindle. Oh, really? Yeah. So like, it might cost you. This is a little cheap. It might cost you, you know, uh, ten ninety nine to buy the paperback, or you know, fourteen ninety nine to buy the audio book. But you buy the Kindle version of our books, you can add the audio for $1.99, you get it cheaper than either one of those formats doing it that way. Oh, I didn't know that. And yeah, because the Kindle book's like six bucks. Right. And then it's two bucks to add the audio. Yeah. So even if you don't read the Kindle, you just got the audio for eight bucks. Yeah. Yeah. That's or sometimes these books go on sale for 99 cents on Kindle. Now you get the audio, you can still add it for 199. <laughs> yeah. So I'm losing money by telling you this, yeah. but if you wait until it's on sale, you can get it for three bucks. Well, you, and you guys still like because you are on Prime, and you guys, or at least I know, like tier one is like you guys still get paid when somebody reads your yeah. book through Prime, right? Yeah. Like that's still as an author. Yeah. 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 If you if you get the books through the Kindle Lending Library, we get paid, you know, quarters of percentage of a penny or whatever for every page that people read. So everybody, download tier one. Uh, download each book. And even if you don't read it, flip through it, you know, hook these guys up. No, yeah, read, the, <laughs> read the books. Read the books. Well, let's hold these up one more time so people can, who are watching it can actually see. Um, and, you know, one day when uh, I'm not lazy, I'll get one of the other cameras going so that people can see the tabletop. But um, 
This is it. This is a tier one series. What are we? We're holding up five books so far, and number yep. six mm -hmm. is on the way. Yeah. Well, and a new series, a spinoff series, uh, Sons, Sons of, War. of War, coming in twenty twenty one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where did your inspiration, uh, real quick, where did your inspiration from Ember, uh, of for Ember, come from? Just mm, that's a good one. Um, so Ember is completely fictitious because we wouldn't want to put anyone in jeopardy. But you know, we live in a whole new universe now, right? Mm -hmm. There's. <laughs> All these joint this and joint that. It's a lot. What can you do? Interagency. And so the inspiration for Ember was these small task forces that all of us have run across, you know, downrange or in Conus, and suddenly these guys show up and they're all named Jones and Smith and, you know. And so these were groups that we crossed paths with. And so we took it, took this and fictionalized it for Ember. And it um, gives us a nice way to manage OPSEC, right? So this is a fictionalized task force. Right, right, They right. get to do what they want to do in our stories. And sometimes they do the things we wish could have been done. Right, <clears throat> right. Yeah. right. You, you, don't, yeah. you don't have to feel obligated to, like, be, you know, accurate. Right, right. right. Well, yeah. It's right. It's right. fiction. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, maybe the same team that does, uh, you know, mountain ops doesn't do subsurface ops, but if it's a fictional task force, we give a shit. They right. do whatever you want them to do. Right. Well, yeah. Every now and then we'll run into someone, I've had this happen two or three times, where they're like, you know, I don't know that you guys should be writing some of this stuff. It's like, dude, you know, it's a novel. <laughs> 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 like, I mean, there does happen to be a guy named John Dempsey, but uh, he's a friend of ours. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah, it's all made up. Like, it's just a story, dude. It's really, it's going to be okay. Pump your brakes. Yeah, pump your yeah. brakes. Exactly. All right. Uh, someone had a good question here. Uh, what was the worst punishment you guys got, all of you? Who wants to start? Punishment. Like in the military, I guess. No. My well, answer is boring. I didn't have a, yeah. had a punishment. Like, wow. like the rest of you, I've never done anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah, if, in order to get a punishment, you'd have to. You guys are some either lost or, or get caught. Or get caught. <laughs> <laughs> or get caught. You guys so it sounds like it's just you, Jack. Just you. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I was a private, uh, I did not have a cell phone initially. So I'm living in the barracks. And the battalion did a recall. They did an RF1 recall. Um, and it wasn't because they were getting deployed to combat, which, so like in Ranger Battalion, it's an R, um, when you're on RF1, it's like they say 18, wheel, 18 hours to wheels up. They recall the entire battalion and rapidly deploy them overseas. So they're, that, that battalion that is on standby like that, they are there for global contingency operations if something pops off somewhere. So PFC, or no, PV2, Jack Murphy, was out on the town and I didn't have any idea that we got recalled. And it wasn't because we were gonna get deployed overseas, it was because guys were fucking up and getting DUIs and stuff like that. So they did a recall of the entire battalion to discipline them and just do a smoke fest, right? I had no idea. I came walking back like three hours into the formation <laughs> and, I was, and I'm like looking over like, oh shit. <laughs> so like I run through and uh, grab my, uh, my, throw on my uniform real quick, come running out there and they're all like, Run, Murphy, run! I start getting chased around the company formation. And they're chasing me. And then they're telling me, jump, jump. So I'm like having to jump like Mario, like as high as I can as I'm running around the company formation. And there's other guys breaking ranks out of the platoon formations and chasing after me to like run me down and kick my ass. Like squad leaders are coming and like grabbing these privates and pulling them back into the formation, having me run in circles around. 
And um, finally, they, they finish with that. We get up to the uh, platoon, uh, platoon uh, the squad AOs, and uh, Corporal uh, has me get on my RBA. This is an old school body armor. The, like the guys wore this shit in Somalia. It's like right. that body armor. Yeah. Like had me doing jumping jacks and like uh, elevated push-ups and like flutter kicks in a puddle of my own sweat. <laughs> and like that probably went on for like six hours or some shit like that. Until my platoon sergeant was like, stop it, he's going to die. And uh, in, in the end, I just got a summarized Article 15 for that and, and life moved on. Yeah. But that was probably the worst punishment I ever received. Not so much the administrative punishment. It was more the uh, yeah. flutter kicks in a puddle of yeah. <laughs> on sweat. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. It wasn't good. But <laughs> it was, no, it's good because it was you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would not call it good. It was a punishment, though. I wasn't late for formation again. I bet. You got a cell phone. <laughs> I bet you got a cell phone. Yeah, that too. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you always got smoked for different stuff. I think one of the most ridiculous, like, I don't know, ridiculous, but I remember in Marine boot camp, you, you know, we had, our platoon had messed up doing something or whatever, and we had to take our foot lockers out to the grinder, you know, out to the parade field and do manual of arms with our, with our foot oh, lockers. <laughs> So that was, how, what did you do to earn that? I don't know. Whatever, whatever young, dumb Marine recruits do, you know? Um, I mean, it wasn't me. I was always an angel. Right. You, know? you just were participating I, for morale. I was, exactly. Exactly. I was just, it was a team effort. All right. Last question. Best adversary in allied subs and your take on the supposed narco sub that crossed the Atlantic recently. So we had to do... Um, we did some sub on sub with the Japanese diesels. Interesting. And yeah, and they were diesel submarines are very very quiet. When they're on their batteries and they're cruising around at four knots, yeah. And the Japanese are pretty methodical about eliminating all their sound vulnerabilities. They're they're on it. So yeah, we went out. Uh, we did some exercises with them, and <clears throat> yeah, we couldn't find them most of the time. Really? Yeah. yeah. So on so Yeah. Bad guys, adversaries, were the Russians pretty good? I'll touch you about that offline. <laughs> <laughs> One ping only. <laughs> and uh, the, the narco sub that crossed the Atlantic to Spain. Supposedly it's the first time that ever happened. Do you see that in the news? No, don't know anything about it. Oh, yeah, it's the. Uh, most of those narco subs come up from the Pacific side of Colombia and land in Mexico. They offload the drugs there. But apparently one went from Colombia across the Atlantic to Spain. Wow. Just recently. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. No, everybody like It was just an upside down bathtub. <laughs> there. <laughs> the guy fluttered down. Yeah. 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 So Gerbil propulsion. Right. That's yeah. what makes it really impressive. Yeah. Actually. yeah. All right. I think that's, yeah, that's it. We're not going to take any more questions, but thank you guys for chiming in there. Um, Anything else that we failed to cover? I mean, we uh, went. Well, Did you want to try to do an extra segment? Yeah, I would. Want, if, you, wanna, if you guys have a few minutes, I know I've kept you quite a while. Do you want to? Do you want to pitch that now or? Sure, why not? I mean, we're, we are going to do a uh, exclusive video for our supporters that we'll record and we'll upload uh, later on. So yeah, what, what do you guys want to talk about on that? Yeah, let's talk about, we'll, we'll give some of the uh, secret, super secret squirrel insights into getting published. So if there's any aspiring authors out there, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, maybe what it takes to get that manuscript okay. out there in the market. 
Yeah. I could use those tips as well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. So uh, thank you. Dave, you got anything? No, thanks, Charles. Uh, Brian Andrews and Jeff Wilson. Yep. And, um, and thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, please remember to subscribe to our channel. Hit that little bell notification. Uh, if you want to help us pay our rent, we're about halfway to being self-sufficient. Um, you can find our Patreon link in the description below. And make sure you check out uh, the Tier 1 series. Uh, by uh, Andrews and Wilson, and also their new books. Come, when is when is uh, Sons of War coming out? Sons of War is twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. A bit of a wait on that one, but yeah. these are all available now on Amazon or Audible. Yeah, and Amazon. Yeah, and Kindle. So you know, for those of you who you yeah. know have your phones with you all the time, don't waste that time. Read. Yeah, I hope we can have you guys back on when the new book comes out. Anytime. That'd be great. Happy to come anytime. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate. Thank it. Thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.